The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let us open up the Word of God together to Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. And if you're using the provided blue pew Bibles, it'll be on page 863. So let us read together Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. And the Word of God says, Soon afterward... He went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with it. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the buyer, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and... God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. This is the word of the Lord. A word of introduction before we pray together. I want to begin by asking two questions. And then with God's help, we will answer these two questions at the end of the sermon. Here's the first question. How does this story fit into the larger story of God redeeming a people to himself in Christ? This story in Luke 7, how does it fit in a larger context? That's the first question. And here's the second question. Is there a statement by Jesus, a phrase, or a work of God in the story that calls us to worship? Or in summary, how does it call us to worship? These are the two questions. Why these two questions? In our second grade Sunday school class, the curriculum is titled The Gospel by Way of Exodus. Each lesson includes three questions designed to train children's hearts towards primary realities in the Old Testament book of Exodus. Here are the three questions. Number one, what is true about God? Well, there's a lot to work with in Exodus on that question. Here's the second one. What's true about people? Again, there's a lot to work with in Exodus regarding that question. Now, here's the third question. How does this story help us worship God and look to Christ? I love that. I love that in the book of Exodus. That's wonderful. If you have second graders in the fall, that's what they are looking forward to. In our third through fifth grade Sunday school class, the curriculum titled Behold the Son, the curriculum is Luke and Acts. During the Luke portion, there are five questions that are put forward in every, in every lesson. Here are the questions. Number one, what is Jesus doing or saying in this story? We want to help children open up their Bibles and pay attention and see what's there. Here's the second question. What do we learn about God and his son in the story? Well, there's a lot to work with in the book of Luke. 
Here's the third question. What do we learn about people in this story? Oh, there's a lot to work with on that question in the book of Luke. Now, here's questions four and five. How does this story fit into the larger context of God redeeming a people to himself? And lastly, is there a statement by Jesus, a phrase or a work of God in the story that calls us to worship? These are the two questions that we have this morning in our sermon, and I'm drawing from what happens in the third to fifth grade Sunday school class to bring this to bear. In addition, the children's sermon guide has three questions that are very similar to that. Now, why is this important to me? First, I would say every work that I, with God's help, every work that I bring forward to families, parent-child relationship, mother-daughter retreat this fall, everything, these two questions are always on my mind. In addition to that, everything that happens in the Sunday school class, these two questions are on my mind, constantly on my mind. Now, why? Now, please hear me. Asking these two questions wherever I am in the Bible and answering them is, by the Spirit, changing my life. And you need to know that as the Holy Spirit transforms the spring of my heart, the streams that flow from it to Sunday school, and into this moment, there's a connection. There must be. There must be a connection. In Exodus and in Luke, man, show me Christ. Proclaim the gospel of grace over and over again that I may worship my God in Jesus' name. And I've got a long ways to go, but God perseveres in his grace upon me. I can be very glad for this, and you can too. This story in Luke 7 is not a, a standalone story by itself. It's part of a larger picture. The ministry to children starts and stays with adults who are being transformed into the image of Christ by the Spirit of truth who shows us truth himself, Jesus Christ. And then by overflow, they influence, train, teach, and disciple children. Well, that's a life well lived. So again, how does this story in Luke fit into the larger story of God redeeming a people to himself? And how does it move us to worship? Please pray with me. We want to see your son more than anything. And this is what the Spirit does, Father. He exalts the Son. We need to see Jesus. We need to see the power and the hope and the joy and the mercy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we welcome you with faith, and we're asking with faith, show us your Son by the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 11, soon afterward, soon afterward, he just got through healing a, a centurion's servant. Last week, remember when Timothy Davy, he, his sermon? I'm going to summarize it. It was so good. Saving faith does not put forward its own righteousness, rather, while affirming its own worthlessness. That's what just happened in the first part of Luke chapter 7. That's a good word. We were served well last Sunday. And before that, Luke 6 was the Sermon on the Plain. 
And even as I say that, I picture an airplane in the sky. (laughs) It's going to be there, I think, for the rest of my life. Sermon on the plane. Well, that was Luke chapter 6. So in, in Jesus' teaching, in his healing, and now in his life-giving, here in, in the story that we're going to look at in a moment, he is living out the fulfillment of his words back in Luke 4, 18 and 19. And Kenny, Pastor Kenny, referred to this just a few weeks ago. It is the fulfillment of God's words through Isaiah in Isaiah 61. And Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's happening. It's happening. The fulfillment of Luke 4, 18 and 19 is happening as we see Jesus walk through the book of Luke. In chapter 5, he said, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And then at the very end of Luke, Luke 24, he said, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. It's happening. As we see in Luke 7, the story is progressing. He is fulfilling What's hap- what was spoken in Isaiah 61. So verse 11 again. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. Life is leading a great crowd of people. Jesus Christ. He's leading them. Can you imagine the face or the countenance of this great group of people, this large group They're probably recounting stories of what he's already said, what he's already done. Remember when he said this or remember when he did that? I think there's great anticipation in this group. What's next? Where are we going? We're going to Nain. What's going to happen there? Joy, enthusiasm, wonder, and excitement is following Christ. Is he the one? Surely they're asking that question. I picture him leading a joyful, exuberant bunch of people. Surely they're not quiet. I like this picture in my mind a lot. It fits. It fits to have followers of Christ who are, in a sense, making a joyful noise to the Lord. Psalm 100, verse 1. Look what he has done. Verse 12. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. Death is leading a great crowd of people. Death is at the front. Can you imagine the face or countenance of this group and this woman? Sorrow, mourning, sadness. And this group knows what it means for the woman. In this culture, she needs a husband. He's gone. She needs a son to help her. He's gone. She is in trouble. And the woman already knows sorrow. 
Her dear husband has died. Now her son is dead. The one remaining person of her precious former life is now gone. And maybe, maybe he looked like his dad. Maybe he had the same black curly hair like his dad. And maybe he had picked up some of his dad's traits, ways of saying things or ways of being. All that part of her life is now gone. This is double sorrow. Verse 13. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Jesus saw her with compassion, a look of mercy. Do you know what it's like to be seen, I mean, really seen, by someone with compassion? I recall something that happened here years ago, a particular ministry event for parents that, in my opinion, did not go well. All that work, that effort, that prayer, and it looked like it just absolutely tanked. And this is my heartbeat, to come alongside parents. And there was a quiet sorrow in my heart. Then this sister in Christ, she wasn't there at the event, but she came up to me on Sunday morning and asked me how it went. So I told her the truth. And when I was done speaking, she just looked at me. As I recall, it was about seven seconds of silence. And tears filled her eyes. Hadn't said anything yet. No explanations offered. Oh, bud, there's a reason why. No reasons given. She said with her eyes and her voice, I am so sorry. The look of her eyes and the tone of her voice spoke love to me. As a daughter of the king, indeed, just like her master, I felt loved. I was seen. Love himself, Jesus Christ, love himself looked at the woman with pure and powerful compassion. Friends, he's still the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still sees. He still sees with compassion. He sees you through the lens of his merciful heart right now. Right now. I don't know your trouble like you do. He does. Right now. Right now. Verse 14. He came up and touched the buyer, a, a kind of opened coffin, and the bearers stood still. Jesus Christ touched death. He touched death. And the law says he's defiled. Numbers 19. In chapter 5, he touched the leper, and lepers were unclean. Leviticus 13 and 14. There are sacrifices that needed to be made for these moments. But God's prophet Hosea spoke God's heart. Hosea 6, verse 6. For I desire steadfast love. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Father's heart is to bring mercy, and he's doing, through, doing so through his son. 
And Jesus said to Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. My heart of mercy is Father's heart of mercy. Philip, watch me. Watch me. Then he came and touched the buyer, and the bearer stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Jesus spoke. He didn't yell. He spoke. He just spoke, and the dead heart began beating. The still body began to breathe. The man began to speak. I wonder what he said. I want to emphasize his speaking over yelling. Oh, he could have yelled with powerful, powerful authority, his voice echoing off the walls of the universe. Our Lord could have done that. He spoke. Recall Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18. Elijah set up a contest between the Lord and Baal. And he took a bull, and the prophets of Baal took a bull and put them on altars, but without fire. And this is what Elijah said. You call upon the name of your God, and I'll call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So the prophets of Baal, they were given the first chance to begin. And they're trying to get the attention of Baal. And as the story progresses, I'll pick it up. They cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. And then finally, Elijah, it's his turn, and he prays. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God. And fire fell down from heaven and burned up everything. Now back to Jesus and the dead man. Jesus did not have to yell to get the attention of his father. He didn't have to run around raving, trying to earn his father's favor. He was in communion with his father trusting in his Father. He was dependent upon the leading of the Spirit. He said in John 8, 29, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Can you imagine a life like that? If you are in Christ, that day is coming. Even while on earth, there was triune fellowship, pure goodness, pure wisdom, pure power stood at the gate of Nain. There's more power in the little finger of God than in Satan. There's more power in the voice of Christ than in death. Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Master, our King, did not need to yell. He spoke, and it was enough. Consider consider Jesus' voice for a moment. In chapter 4, Jesus spoke to Satan. Satan came to tempt him, and Jesus spoke him down. It is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Chapter 4, verse 35, Jesus spoke to a demon, be silent, 
come out of him. He came out. Jesus spoke to the people. I'm, uh, chapter 4, verse 43, I must preach the good news. Parents, that's good parenting vision. If you're looking for a parenting verse, there it is. I must preach the good news to my children in the living room. I am his ambassador, a mercy ambassador for my Lord in the living room. Chapter 5, verse 10, Jesus spoke to Simon Peter when it seems like all the fish of the lake jumped into the boat. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus spoke healing, saying to the leper, be clean. He was. Chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus spoke forgiveness, saying to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. Well, who speaks this way? Chapter, oh, his commands. He spoke his commands with authority. Chapter 5, verse 27, saying to Matthew, follow me. He followed him. Chapter 6, verse 36. Can you imagine if we obeyed this one command? The, whole, the New Testament is filled with commands. What about this one? He said, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. And what wisdom he speaks. Verse 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Who talks this way? That's wisdom. And then he spoke about himself with authority. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, picture in your mind two massive arrows approaching each other. The tip of one arrow is life, Jesus Christ. And following him is a large crowd. Okay. The tip of the other arrow is death, and perhaps all that death represents. Sin, demons, sickness, and sorrow. And following it is a large crowd. Okay. At the gate of Nain... Life looks into the eyes of death and encounter another moment. Who's going to win? A contest. Who's going to win? This life that we live is marked by darkness. It is. Death with its stench and sorrow. There's so much hurt with death. Centuries of death, centuries of loss, centuries of separation, centuries of an empty seat at the kitchen table, sickness with its pain. I was talking to one of my granddaughters Saturday morning about this story, and the conversation happened so quickly. Like, how did I get here? Grandpa, why did he die? I just, by default, no, maybe cancer. Grandpa, what's cancer? Well, it's a sickness in your body, and your body doesn't work right. Oh, like if the cancer's in the brain, you don't think right? I said, yeah, something like that. We have to have conversations like that in this life? Yes, we do. A lot of them. Sin with its destruction, 
greed, pride, violence, tanks, bullets, cities on fire. Troubled hearts, troubled minds. And when I think of what's waiting for our children a few decades down the road in this culture, in this world, and then on top of all of that, there's my own sin. I still have it. And yours? And we groan. And we groan. Now, in light of this darkness, there is in my heart and mind a blend of righteous anger and unrighteous anger. I know it. There's nothing in my heart that's perfectly pure. But I want Jesus to get up into death's face and grab it by the collar and grab Satan by the collar and say, to hell with you, to the lake of fire with you. I rebuke you forevermore. Young man, arise. It's what I want. He doesn't give me what I want. He gives me what I need. Five seconds of calm command. Young man, I say to you, arise. Death bows, life breathes, just like that. Now you know this, friends. This is our story. We were dead, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That's Ephesians 2. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's 1 Peter 1. Those of you who are preparing to be baptized here this month of July, and you want to add something to your testimony, and the rest of us who wants to add something to our testimony, here it is. Luke 7 is our story. Is our story. He spoke and we live. He spoke and we live. When Jesus heals someone of disease, it's a pointer to our diseased hearts and his powerful mercy. And when Jesus raises a dead person up into life, it's a pointer to our spiritual deadness and his powerful mercy. All these stories are pointers telling us the truth of God, his son, and us. Now, those of you who have not yet repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, I appeal to you. I do. I appeal to you. Today, today, Sunday, July the 2nd, today is the day of salvation. We have no category for what the wrath of the Lamb of God will be. It will be terrible. But we live in the year, the age of the Lord's favor, grace and mercy, pardon and welcome, forgiveness available today, right now. One day, the year of the Lord's favor will end and the day of the Lord's wrath will come. It will be too late then. Yes, be afraid, but don't run from Christ. Run to him. Run to him. You will find mercy. You will find grace. You will find pardon. You will find hope. You will find joy. You will find peace. You will find rest. Verse 16. Fear seized them all. You remember Jesus in the boat speaking to the storm. This is the storm, and this is in chapter 8. 
The storm listened and stopped. And Luke will tell us that the disciples, after Jesus spoke to the, to the storm, they were afraid. Well, that's a fitting response, I think. They were in the presence of the holy, and so were the people at the gate of Nain. They were in the presence of the holy. Well, fear fits. Fear fits in the presence of God. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. Oh, a greater prophet than all the prophets is here. Yes, God has visited his people more than you know. He's standing in front of you. And yes, he will arise. Oh, he will arise for our everlasting joy. And this report, verse 17, about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. And this story of life-conquering death spread. And this story of Jesus' voice to the young man spread and continues to spread to the degree that you and I here in Minneapolis on July the 2nd are being drawn up into the wonder of it all yet again, the serious joy of it all yet again. You know, I know you know this. It's good to be reminded. We'll hear his voice one day. He will speak, confessing names to his Father in the presence of the angels concerning those who know him and have persevered in their faith. We read about this in Revelation 3, verse 5. Names written in the book of life will be spoken, individual names. If I understand verse 5 correctly, individual names of those who have trusted in Jesus, only Jesus, for the forgiveness of their sins. What would that be like? I don't know. But I like to think about it. For example, maybe... Father, I stand before you as your righteous son, and by your grace in my blood, through the Spirit, Krista is mine, Dane is mine, Jan is mine, Mike is mine, Cadence is mine, Marta is mine, Bob is mine, Louis is mine. Lonnie is mine. Deb is mine. Julie is mine. Dorothy, Cindy, Reed, Jonathan, mine. Father, I took names to the cross, and I am alive forevermore, and they are alive in me. They will live forever in your presence, Father, and in mine, with great joy to the praise of your glorious grace. The voice of Jesus. Enter into the joy of your master. Are you ready? I want to hear that. Now, if for just a moment the Holy Spirit allowed an infant girl in the womb of her mother to understand these things and the capacity to communicate to her mom, what might she say? I use this question in every third through fifth grade Sunday school class in the curriculum 
designed to explore the kind of response that we're hoping for in the children that we teach. And then it becomes a prayer guide as we pray for the children. For example, as it relates to this story, Mom, I want to hear Jesus' words spoken to my heart. Dear one, it's time to get up. Child, arise. I will be born as a baby, but mom, I need to be born again, drawn up from death into life. You will read to me of Christ and put me in places where his name is revered and loved. You will listen to gospel songs with me and talk with me about gospel-rich sermons, but mom, as good as all that is, it has no power to make me live. Please, mom, use these good things while praying for my heart. For God uses means to open up the eyes of spiritually blind people. And God uses means to open up the ears of spiritually deaf people. And God uses means to transform the hearts of spiritually dead people. Mom, I want to hear Jesus' words spoken to my heart. Dear one, it's time to get up. Child, arise. What about those two questions. How does this story fit into the larger story of God redeeming a people to himself in Christ, and how does it move us to worship? And the answers to these two questions really do walk hand in hand. Jesus stood face to face with death at the gate of the city of Nain, and he spoke life into the dead man. And this moment revealed the power and mercy of Christ Jesus our Lord over death, But it was a foreshadow of things yet to come. One day, he will leave the gate of the city of Jerusalem and die for us, absorbing all of his Father's wrath in our place so that as we trust in him for the forgiveness of our sins, we would live. We would live a life of spiritual worship unto our God, of fellowship with our Father, of communion with Christ, being pardoned and forgiven of dependence upon the Spirit. We stand back in wonderment, in awe, with gratitude and hope. Life conquered death at the gate of Nain, and life will conquer death outside the gate of Jerusalem. Life himself, Jesus Christ, life himself is coming soon. And so we worship him. Oh, and we will worship him forevermore. Amen. Death, where's your sting? Oh, it is gone. Jesus lives. Satan, where is that fear of death that you long to oppress us with? It is diminishing. It is waning. It is gone. Jesus helps us. That's eternal liberation. To close, think of the children regarding these two questions we are answering and see them 40 years down the road. 2063. Why 2063? I don't know. I don't know. It's just impressed upon my heart. The five-year-old is now 45. See them opening up their Bible. Well, that's a good picture. See them rereading the story in Luke 7. Why? They want to see Jesus again. Well, that's good. See their hearts respond as they rehearse 
God's gift of redemption in Christ, the living Christ by the guidance and teaching of the Spirit, receiving eternal life. That's good. How are they responding in 2063? What is their heart's desire? Pray for them that they would be found responding then the way we are now, singing their desire in 2063. Literally, I prayed this. Responding this way. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. May it be. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.